Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to HR Work Break. I'm your host, Maddie Collins, editor of HR Daily Advisor. HR Work Break takes a quick but close look at everything human resources. For any HR professional, it's a must listen. I hope you learned something new, take some advice to heart, or simply stay abreast today's trending topics. Now, it's time for a work break. Happy Friday, everyone. In this episode, I'm joined by Maurice Bell, head of people operations at Lattice, a market-leading people management platform that empowers leaders to build engaged, high-performing teams that inspire winning cultures. Maurice, thank you so much for joining me today. Happy to be here. Yeah. One of my first questions for you is, what do you think are the latest or most effective approaches to team and community building, especially considering that we're in such a heavily remote workforce right now? Yeah, I think this is probably the one space that I think is so fascinating uh, that impacted by this remote move. I think, you know, for a long time, team building, community building, a lot of it was focused directly around engagement uh, and employee engagement and how do you drive that even as like down to the metric, right? And we would do engagement surveys and there was all this psychometric analysis around that being the the trigger. And I also know too that, especially in the last decade plus, there's been this conversation around belonging as like a critical factor of engagement. And so I think what has happened with remote work is things are just so much more intimate in the relationship between employees and employers. You know, we are literally in people's homes. There's this backdrop of so much that has happened over the last few years in the world that folks are just a little more vulnerable around their mental health, their emotional health. It's just been a lot. And I think what companies can and should be doing and thinking about team building and community building is I'd say moving away from this idea of like work-life balance and like that there's this kind of separation. I think we're past that in this remote work and we have to embrace This idea that engagement is about belonging and it's how do we focus less on, you know, some of the factors in the past of engagement around discretionary effort, right? That was like the big thing, right? It's like, how do we get folks that so engaged that they want to do more work, right? We're all working so much, right? (laughs) And remote work made it really hard for us to turn off. And, And so it's like shifts like that around feeling like people feel cared for, people feel like they belong at the company because the company is something bigger. And the relationship they have with the company is more than just kind of their output of work. I think that's the focus. Team building, it's about getting to know people as humans. And we're already having to do that because you're seeing my kids, you know, run across my Zoom screen or my, you know, my dog or cat jumping on my lap. Like we're we're there. Let's not act like it's not happening. Let's just embrace it and realize that, hey, we're all making a decision to come together and do this thing called work together. And we, we owe it to each other to make it something more than that. And so with what you were saying about how the line between work-life balance is blurred because we're working directly at our homes for the most part, what do you think that companies can do to make their employees feel most supported, whether it's building belonging, like you mentioned, or supporting mental health? Yeah, I think there is a different charge and ask, I think, of managers these days. Not to say that it didn't exist in the past, but there was a lot more base afforded to managers to focus just on the work. And I think fundamentally now, and again, in the spirit of team building and community building, especially if you got new employees joining the team, you have to build relationships. You have to understand what makes this person tick. 
what are the things that are on their mind outside of work so that you can help support navigating all the other priorities that might be in their life and give buffer to where they need to prioritize other things that are not work related. That's okay. And so you, you, you can only do that if you really get to know people. So I think step one, be okay with getting, getting closer to, to your employees, getting to know them as humans. I really think it seems simple, but it does take work. I think managers need to understand that that's work. We are all now, managers are now counselors, right? A little bit. There's just other skill sets beyond project management or, you know, goals management and performance management that are really important to managers. Growing that muscle, that skill set. Outside of that, again, in terms of care and community building, I think benefits play a big part in that in a, in a little different way than in the past. A lot of, in the, you know, nice times of, I don't know, maybe we'll call it the 2010s or whatever, right? Where everything was all fine and dandy, right? And we didn't have any cares in the world. Benefits were all about the perks. Food in the office and we've got ping pong tables and all those type of things that are like, yeah, it's a great time. And now just with how life is, people I think are looking for and want to make sure that they're feeling like they're cared for. Companies need to be thinking about how can they offer opportunities, resource, access, and support for the employees across their kind of life journey. When you think about financial wellness, we talked about mental health, personal, physical well-being, a lot of families. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but I, I have a sense that a lot of folks have new forming families coming out of the pandemic. And, <laughs> and so thinking about that big move and, and shift in the employee population and, and understanding that there's going to be some support needed for caregivers and families and parents, just thinking very intentionally about really from this place of like, it's about care and support and resource. And that can span a lot of different things, but not just about having a good time or feeling like they're perks, right? I think we had to move away from the perk conversation. Right. So do you have any advice for HR companies that are looking to update their benefits and compensation packages to be more inclusive or be more understanding with how COVID has affected everyone's lives? Yeah, I think it starts with understanding your community. And so, you know, you need to do the work around, depending on the size of the organization, if you have the means to be able to access every employee directly, have conversations, right? Facilitate a organized conversation across your managers, right? Where you might give them some questions that all managers are asking their employees to get insights around what their needs are, what's going on for them and, and ways that the company can support. As you get bigger, you might need to do more around surveying, maybe, you know, as well as doing some more analytics around the population and the demographics, thinking about age, what that might mean they're going through in their lives, closer to retirement or not, family forming or not. Obviously, when we think about race and ethnicity, maybe some of the things that they might, might be impacting their lives disability access. Like I think it's really just important to understand the nuances and the diversity within your community. And if you can grab that through some analytics and data, highly encourage that. I think all of this is essentially saying, be just be intentional. Know what you are working with in terms of your community and meet them where they are. As opposed to, I think in past approaches might've been benchmarking, right? Other companies are, what are other companies doing? Yeah, sure. I think there's still value in that, but origin of your decision-making should happen at what are the needs of your actual people that are in your community working with you in, in the company. 
And I think benchmarking is still important. Having a great partner in, in, in your benefits, be it you know, medical or otherwise, I think there's a lot of really interesting companies and new startups and, and technology that's out there to help support options and flexibility around how people are utilizing benefits. And so definitely, I don't want to like say, don't go out and see, see what's going on in the world and what your options are. But I would say always start at what is the true need and interests of the people you have. And it just starts with conversations and insights. So people first approach is essential for any business to be successful. In your career and just your experience, what does the human aspect of human resources mean to you? That question is really embodied in what you've seen over the last X amount of years of companies moving away from using the word HR, right? And the stigma I think that has that has been associated with in the past because it was so much focused on maybe on the R, on the resource, less on the H. And moving to nomenclature of like people. I think in spirit of that and what it means to be human is really gets at kind of what I, what I started this conversation with of the individuals that are here that we're working with. It goes beyond just work, right? It goes beyond just this transaction. There's a little bit of a more of a social con uh, contract, especially with where we are now and like the intimacy that we have in each other's lives where People are putting in a lot of work, a lot of time, and a lot of effort, and we owe it to them to support them in all those other spaces that may intentionally or unintentionally be, become deprioritized because they're putting in so much work. And so I think it's making sure that we're approaching how we support our employees and building our community in ways that is sustainable. It feels like there's value and meaning in the things that they're contributing to and the work that they're doing. And staying on top of that. And, and also, I'd, I'd say, too, just understanding that the dynamic has shifted where companies are now much more a part of the employee's journey, less that employees are a part of the company's journey. So I think there's something about changing, changing the perspective where we're a little bit more at service of what their needs are and their journey, um, rather than looking at employees as pieces to our like business strategy, right? Or, you know, I hate to say it, but like, like widgets, right? Like they're, they're less resource, right? In some of our emails, you mentioned that the things you can get sued or audited for as a company are just as important to building culture as the, the more fun aspects. So what do you think HR professionals and people management professionals should be prioritizing kind of in that space? Yeah. All those things that I just talked about and the beauty of building culture and community and caring for the needs of employees. There's a probably a spectrum of the work that human resource professionals, people professionals need to navigate. And that's fundamentally the needs of your employees and the needs of the business. And a lot of times, I think it's just important that we're mindful of, and, and very, again, this word that for me right now that is my primary word in all the work that I'm doing is just intentionality. We know what we're doing. We know the implications of what we're doing and the decisions we're making. A lot of factors that come into play, really it's about, and most HR people will know this, it's about what precedent are we setting? You know, once we start establishing certain benefits, uh, start establishing certain policies, be it all well-intended and really trying to serve a particular need, you know, we potentially expose ourselves to situations where if there are a slightly different dynamics, maybe we wouldn't want to offer that. Or, you know, now you're starting to get into conversations of, you know, who's qualified versus who's, who's not qualified for that. And all that creates potential exposure and risk. I think there's a, also a lot that's been going on over the last year that's been a little frenetic. And it's like, oh my God, there's all these things happening. We just need to, and it's, we've been a little reactive. And I think it's important that, especially as we start to settle into this new 
normal of work that we're just very a little more methodical in saying yeah the implications of this we understand if we institute this new benefit are we thinking about how that impacts all groups and how does this play out we're expanding uh globally or if we shift our workforce um in in different ways from more contractors or uh, maybe moving into part-time you know it's just thinking through all of the potential uh implications i think is really important and and more important now and i think we've we got to move away from this reactive space that we've been in in the last couple years I was going to say, like, I know, at least from like a personal standpoint, the constant changing and updating of, of COVID policies alone has been a bit of a roller coaster for employees and companies both. Yeah, no, 100%. I think there's also, there's just some real vulnerability that I think HR practitioners can help organizations and companies just embrace. That's like, it's okay. We don't have to be the experts. We don't have to know it all. None of us are COVID experts. We are still figuring this thing out. And I think there was such a desire to be able to like call it and say, all right, here's our day where we're coming back and everything's going to be figured out at that day. Or time and time again, we just realized that's not the case, that we are, we need to be fluid. We need to understand what are the data points and insights that are going to help inform our decisions. And we need to have open, constant dialogue with our employees around how we're thinking about these and how things are changing. It's really about building resilience, less definitive action. There's never one perfect solution for anything. The best solution is rolling with the punches and adapting as needed. I don't know if it's it's important, but there's a couple things that have come up. We actually most recently did a, an internal survey that it's fascinating. The one thing that's getting in the way, and maybe it's not fascinating. I'd love to kind of get your insights. Yeah. Like 90% of our population that's responded so far in the survey is like the one thing that's really getting in the way is just the commute. Folks just don't see it as a valuable use of time which is very interesting to me because I don't, I think we just, I don't think we ever really thought about it before working remote. And it was just like, oh, this is just a part of working. Yeah. My job before this one, I drove about an hour to work and an hour home. And I got to listen to a lot of podcasts, listen to a lot of good audiobooks and music, but at the same time getting those two hours back when we moved to remote work was really nice because I was able to put more energy into my physical health and I'd save money on gas, of course, which right now is really nice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, I, I totally see what you're saying because a commute necessarily isn't the worst, but it is put into a different perspective. Yeah, I just I, I think, you know, I just assumed it would might be more around like distraction or a, ability to manage, you know, personal personal flexibility around things you might need to do around your schedule or things like that. It was very clearly like, no, I just don't, uh, I don't want to do the commute or the commute is a challenge for me. But I think the commute is also one of those practices and exercises that help you disconnect from work, right? Like going into the office, you're starting to kind of get your mind ready and transitioning and we just don't have transition anymore. Right. And I'd be curious for folks that are saying, oh, well, you know, I want those two hours back. How are you spending those two hours? Are you working? Right. right. So that's the only thing. Not to say that commuting is the solution, but I do think that in lieu of having the commute, we got to find other ways to help facilitate people's ability to disconnect. Right. I don't know if other people do it, but my my habit is just because like my room is essentially right behind where I work all day. So whenever the workday winds up, especially with the weather getting nice, I tend to go on a walk or something just to kind of get miles in with my feet instead of on my car, because <laughs> that's old. 
But you're right. It's hard with the blur between work-life balance and going to and from work still in your sweatpants. In your sweatpants, right? And like, I have not changed. (laughs) There's no reason to at this point. And it's still fascinating too, that we all know that that's the truth. Like it is known that we are all in sweatpants. But for when we do go to the office, I actually go to the office Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, just because I do enjoy like the transition. And I do think once we get past whatever we can call a normal state with COVID, people will start to kind of appreciate that in-person IRL experience. Yeah. Like you said, going back to community, the intentional being in person with your coworkers can bring culture pretty far too. Yeah. Just to connect, right? But but no one's coming in sweatpants. Nope. (laughs) Everyone's getting still dressed up and it's like, well, you know, you know. Right. So it's Friday. Uh, What are you most looking forward to this weekend? Well, it's Friday, but it is also the Sweet 16, and I am a huge UCLA Bruins alumni and fan, and so I'm really looking forward to a game this afternoon uh, where we're playing North Carolina, and this would be a humongous win for us. And so uh, that's how I'm going to probably be spending my Friday night is, is, is watching some basketball. Nice. Oh my gosh. I've heard so much about like all the brackets being broken. I'm not tapped in, but I'm loosely <laughs> aware <laughs> that it's been crazy. Yeah, it, it has lived up to its name of March Madness. I mean, it's just, you, you never know what to expect. Really, really good games. And I think it's one of the things that I like most about college basketball is there's just a different level of energy and it's more about pride. It's more about legacy, right? It's not paychecks, so to speak, right? When you get into the professional spaces. And so you just get a different, like authentic experience and it's really cool. Oh my gosh. I hope your team wins this Friday. Send good vibes my way. Thank you. (laughs) Sending all the good vibes and hopefully the good vibes just carry them on as far into the, into the championship as they can go, you know? I, I love it. Thank you so much. So Maurice, I just wanted to thank you again for joining me for this conversation. Thank you. Take, uh, have a great weekend. Thank you. You too. Again, I'm Maddie Collins and thank you for listening. Join us next Friday or whenever you need a work break.